Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We'll be picking up a new new chapter this morning. We finished chapter 11 last week. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hand. But John chapter 12, we read in the first 11 verses. Starting with verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil, of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. For she has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now there was a great many Jews that were there, and they came not only for Jesus' sake, but also that they might see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Let's pray again. Father, we gather here, Lord, to open your word, forever settled in heaven. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, minister to us. Lord, change us by your word, which is supernatural. Lord, I pray for the supernatural power of your Holy Spirit even now to come upon me. I pray, Lord, that this, just as we see Mary pouring out this oil, this message would be poured out at your feet and it would be honoring, pleasing, a sweet fragrance to you, Lord, and we would all leave here more in love with, changed by the grace and mercy of Jesus. Lord, remove me once again from the equation that each of us might hear from you in your name, I pray. Amen. Chapter 11 closed with the arrogant and angry, but nonetheless provident and prophetic declaration of Caiaphas, the high priest. Remember, he said it was expedient that Jesus should die and not the whole nation of Israel. And at that point, prior to the arrest and execution of Jesus, this is when it was agreed upon when he comes to the Passover, that's when we're going to grab him. That's when we're going to make sure we eliminate him. In advance of the coming Passover, some Jewish pilgrims were already arriving in Jerusalem. They were coming to purify themselves in preparation for this most holy feast and remembrance. As I mentioned last week, Beginning here in chapter 12 and all the way through chapter 21, John will, over the last 
roughly 50 days of Jesus' life uh, before ascending the Father, John's going to cover mainly one specific week. The majority of the chapters, almost half the book, covers this one specific week, which, gonna, which is going to end with Jesus' death and his burial. Here in verse 1, we see it's now been, it's six days until Passover. Six days until the Passover. Jesus knows, and he's the only one that knows, precisely the weight of this forthcoming week. It's been hidden even from his disciples. Even his closest friends have yet to comprehend his statements regarding his impending death. But notwithstanding, the disciples and their lack of understanding, we see in these 11 verses the marked change of what takes place when Jesus changes a life. When a person moves from unbelief to believing in the Son. When his love becomes the source of life and love and a heart that's been transformed. And yet the full demonstration of Jesus' love is still to come. But he's already shown more than enough already, hasn't he? Already shown way more than enough. If you're taking notes this morning, the title this morning, Love Poured Out. What a contrast. And those that have been saved by grace, and the mercy and the love of Jesus, versus those that are still unconvinced, unwilling, unaware, and still resisting the grace of God. I don't have any bullet points this morning. I normally do. I normally have these section headings. I'll continue to do so on most Sundays. If you joined uh, in the Wednesday Psalm series, I don't use any bullets on Wednesday nights. We just go as the verses go. But in this section, the contrast between Christ and his followers versus those that have rejected and resisted him, it kind of goes back and forth. So we'll just kind of follow it in sequence. Turn with me back to verses 1 and 2. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus comes to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, that Lazarus was, there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Now we know that Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they put their faith and trust in Jesus. Some combination of the witness of Jesus, his teaching, his preaching, his miracles, have fully convinced them that Jesus was the Messiah. Sent from God. That he was their teacher. He was their rabbi. He was their Lord. He was their Savior. They have been convinced They've each been changed forever by the touch of the Master. Lazarus has, he has, Lazarus has experienced the resurrection power like nobody ever had. Nobody had ever been dead for four days. 
and then called back from eternity. There's no doubt that this gathering, this feast, this meal there in Bethany with Jesus was one that they are savoring every moment. They're still rejoicing that Lazarus is alive now. I said last week, none of you have ever gone to a funeral and four days later saw the person come back. They're still rejoicing this, over this. And of course, Jesus. They're celebrating him. He's the one that did the impossible. So they're there to dine with Christ himself. You ever been to one of those meals? I hope you have one today. If it's Mother's Day meal, you've got big things planned. You ever been to one of those meals where everyone at the table is exactly who you want to be there? Everyone at the table is like, this is everyone I wanted to be at this particular meal. Where the food is amazing. I have like five, ten meals that stick out in my mind. Like the food was just, it just supersedes other times. Where the food was amazing, the conversation was equally enjoyable. We've all had dinners that the opposite of this is true as well, right? Where everyone at the table you did not want there. The conversation was not enjoyable. Where the food was not even good. But again, one of these where everything was perfect. The people, the meal, the fellowship, the laughter, the stories... And usually when it's a, something like that, there's some significance. There's, some, there's something you're remembering. There's some reflection. Maybe it's someone's graduation. Maybe it's a birthday. Maybe today it's Mother's Day. This, this meal in Bethany is all of that and more. There's gratitude. There's relief that Lazarus is alive. There's a love and the bond of family. There's the blessing of good friends. There's the food itself. There's this deep appreciation of Jesus. Because Jesus is the guest of honor. And guess what? He's the guest of honor here today too. Amen? He's always the guest of honor. That is saved. But there at that meal, he's the guest of honor that saved their souls and changed their life. It definitely appears that Lazarus' resurrection is the reason for this meal. We don't know that uh, conclusively, but it certainly seems to be the case. Certainly what I believe the text is indicating, many scholars that you can read commentaries, most seem to believe that this meal was specifically centered around that Lazarus had been raised from the dead. Now, if you've read the Gospels, we also can get the impression that Mary and Martha, these two sisters... They know how to prepare a feast. Some of you ladies know how to prepare a feast. My wife is one of these ones that she's like an old Italian grandma. She wants to make sure that there is food for an army. And, certain, and if you're not full, you're not leaving until you are. You know, that's the kind of deal. It just, just keep bringing it. And we have the impression that Mary and Martha would know how to take, uh, you know, really do a feast right hospitality. Jesus, anything else we can get you? What else can we get you, Jesus? Like, I've had plenty, you know? But at the introduction of chapter 11, John assumes the readers have the knowledge of the other Gospels. So he assumes that people are familiar with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And when we cross-reference Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14, 
it seems that this meal takes place at the home of a man by the name of Simon the leper. You might have seen Simon in the other Gospels. He's healed of leprosy, which is also amazing because you actually have Lazarus at the meal who's been raised from the dead, four days dead. And you'd have Simon who would have died had Jesus not healed him from leprosy. So what an amazing scene. But we know that the house here belongs to Simon the leper. Martha seems to be the hostess. And the three siblings are probably related to Simon. Some scholars even believe that Martha was the wife of Simon the leper. And that is possible. We won't know until we get to heaven. But uh, there's the fact that they're at his house and she's the hostess uh, leads many scholars to believe that actually that was her husband. That, and that would even make her incredibly grateful that her husband who would have died of leprosy is now fully healed and so the whole family Jesus has done a number in this family hasn't he healed people from death potential death not to mention saving all of their souls so we kind of see why this would be such a beautiful meal verse 3 let's look at verse 3 then Mary takes a pound of very costly oil of spikenard anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair during the meal, Mary takes this pound of costly spikenard oil, which is nearly an entire year's wages. Now, you have 365 days in a year. You have 300 denarii, which a denarii is one day's wages. So 300 days out of a 360... Now, if you take out the weekends, most of you are not paid your salary or whatever you're paid by the hour. Uh, if you're a salary employee, uh, you're not paid for the weekends. You're paid for what you do on your work week. So 300 days wages is essentially a full year's salary. And so basically a year's worth of wages and she pours out the entire bottle, this oil of spikenard, its entirety, and she pours it out on the feet of Jesus. In Luke chapter 10 verse 39, we, we learn that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus learning from him. In John eleven thirty two, 32, she fell at the feet of Jesus, imploring him for his help. And here, she's once again the third time at the feet of Jesus, now anointing his feet with this lavish gift that's represented as the outpouring of her own life. She is pouring oil, but it really represents her pouring out herself, all that she has her monetary, her gifts, talents. We see this also in the life of Paul. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, it's up on the screen in 2 Timothy 4, 6. Paul says of his own life that he's being poured out like a drink offering. God gives us examples in Scripture for us to follow that as Mary poured out her, out her life, as Paul poured out his life, we're also called to pour out our life, not to hold it, not to bottle it in. And keep it for ourselves, but to pour it out. Mary, she didn't want to just dine with Jesus, but she wanted to be fully devoted to Jesus. This was a vivid act, a vivid act of her love for Jesus, but it was also an act of her abandonment of herself. It was common, if you came to a Jewish uh, town or city in that time, and you were invited to a meal, it was common for, if a guest were to come, 
you would get your feet washed. They would have a basin of water. They would have towels. And so it was common before the meal, before the meal, to wash the feet of the guest in this basin of water. But here, this takes place, this anointing of the oil on the feet of Jesus, it takes place in the middle of the meal. It's not before the meal. It takes place in the midst of the meal. And then, not only does she use this precious oil, she uses her hair. This was, the, the fact that this takes and uses oil instead of water, middle of the meal instead of the beginning of the meal, the whole act is very special. It's very unique. But again, Jesus is special, and Jesus is unique, and that's a great understatement, isn't it? By the way, Jewish women in that time never, ever took down their hair in public. In that time, Jewish women kept the hair up, kept it covered, be a veil, be some kind of covering. The hair was not let down in public. It was considered greatly dishonoring to let down your hair in public. And yet, here she is, letting down her hair, which is really humbling herself, dishonoring herself to honor Christ, to honor Jesus and make her hair a towel. As she wipes this oil, and her face is down at his feet. When you and I get to heaven, you will get to fall at the feet of Jesus. Every knee is going to bow. Every time you, you won't think it's weird. It will be automatic. You will drop to your knees. What she's doing is foreshadowing what everyone's going to do. But she's doing out of love. Out of this abandonment of herself. And as much as Mary humbles herself and pours out this oil and pours out this worship, she doesn't realize that in less than a week, in less than a week, Jesus is going to humble himself. And he's going to hang virtually naked on a cross and lay down his life and then pour out his blood, not oil, his blood. Not an expensive oil, but priceless blood. We're saved by that priceless blood, amen? He's going to pour out his priceless blood and he's going to pour out his love for humanity and those very feet that she's anointing with oil are going to be driven through with nails. Now as Mary is bathing the feet of Jesus with this fragrant oil, the, the whole house begins to fill with this pleasant sense. It tells us, and the whole house was filled with the fragrant oil. This pleasing scent, it fills the entire house. And very soon, another foreshadow here, and very soon Jesus is going to fill the entire earth with the fragrance of forgiveness. The forgiveness, and it's going to be his blood that's going to send out this fragrance of forgiveness, not the oil. It'll be his blood. You ever smell something so good 
that you wonder, where is this coming from? We have the opposite of this too. You ever smell something so bad, you're like, I must get out of here quick. We've all had that. But you, you smell something so good, and you're like, I have to know where it's coming from. In my neighborhood, if somebody lights up the grill, I'm like, where is that coming from? And it makes me want to get my grill out. You know, I, I smell it. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know which house is doing the good, the good work. <laughs> but you can smell it, and you're wondering where it's coming from. And it's a good smell. It's an inviting smell. It makes you want to find the source. The gospel, here it was the oil, but the gospel is the scent or the fragrance that's to lead souls to the source, which is Jesus. The gospel is to have the scent. It's to have a fragrant scent that draws people. This is why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2.15, For we, that's us, those of you online, if you are a believer, if you're born again in Jesus Christ, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We should have the fragrance of the gospel all over us. We should have the fragrance of forgiveness flowing from our lives. We should have the fragrance of the joy and peace of Jesus in our life. Let me briefly pull back the lens. If we can kind of take the lens up like you're looking down at the meal. Like pull back a little bit, 10 feet, 12 feet up front. Look down at those that are at the meal. We don't know everybody that's there. We know some of the people that were there. But I want to zero in on the composite or this complete picture of the believer, which I believe is, is evident in the presence there of Lazarus, Martha and Mary. Those three siblings, those three brothers and sisters, they're in the presence of Jesus. They represent, in the three of them, by the way, there's a lot of three and ones in the Bible. We are body, soul, and spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of three and ones. So it's not even unusual that God would take three lives to show a composite view of one believer, all of us. Lazarus, the first here, Lazarus represents the gift of salvation that was given to all of us that we are raised from the deadness of our sins into life. Remember, Lazarus was dead for four days. He represents us being raised from the deadness of sin and the fact that we would be having the eternal death in hell. But Lazarus represents that salvation from death. Then you have Martha, and it tells us that Martha... Uh, Martha was actually serving here at the supper. Martha represents the new life in Christ, our new service in Christ, that all of us are called to a life of service. Nobody was saved to sit back and do absolutely nothing. Everybody was saved to serve just like Martha. So she represents our service, our new life of service unto Christ. And then Mary, and you have Mary the third. Mary represents our total devotion. It's that taking up our cross and following Christ. She represents falling at the feet of Jesus, worshiping, but not just worshiping his feet, hearing, because when we empty ourselves, guess who fills us? 
The very God we're at the feet of. The fact that you bow down before God means that, as he tells us in the book of James, that when we humble ourselves, he will lift us up. It's when we empty ourselves that he will fill us. And so Mary represents that total devotion, emptying of ourselves, that we would be filled. And of course, that filling is actually the Holy Spirit, which Jesus will send the helper upon his ascension. Now at this point, with Mary expending out her valuable sacrifice, Judas decides to speak up. Now, probably all the disciples are there. Uh, we don't know, but it, more than likely all the disciples are there. Other family, other friends, other disciples. Not everybody would be in the actual meal, but people have come also even outside the house, and we're going to see that in just a second, just to get a glimpse of Jesus and Lazarus. But Judas speaks up. Look at verses 4 and 6. Judas says this. He says, But well, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used, uh, to, used to take what was put in it. Judas, at this point, speaks up. Judas is soon going to betray Jesus for money. And he is the one that quickly calculates the monetary value of the oil. You know, this, is, this is about a year's worth. Jesus, this is a year's worth of wages. 300 denarii, 300 days. And he remarks that this amount could have significantly cared for poor in the community there. Now John tells us, the Apostle John who writes this, John tells us, and he's, not, he's speaking in hindsight here, but John tells us in hindsight that Judas, they didn't know, by the way, they didn't know, the Apostles didn't know how resistant Judas actually was to the true work of salvation. That Judas was somebody that would sit in the church service, but had no desire for Jesus whatsoever. And there's, sadly, there's a lot of people in American churches, maybe even in this room right now, you are here, but you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Well, Judas was that. He knew the truth. He had been around the truth. He was exposed to the miracles and all the great things Jesus did, all the teaching. And that the disciples, they didn't realize that Judas was a fraud. They didn't realize that Judas had never really repented. So in hindsight, he tells us that Judas did not actually care for the poor at all. But he'd been stealing from the treasure. He was the treasure. Imagine that Jesus gave him this role and let him steal the whole time, but also was giving him time to repent, which he never did. Judas loved money. Loved money. How sad. Mary and her siblings, they loved Jesus. Judas, he loved money. They all saw the same miracles. They all saw Simon the leper healed. They all saw people that were lame given their full range of motion back. They all saw that Lazarus had been raised from the dead. They all heard the teaching of Jesus. And yet Judas still loved the world. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they loved the one that came to the world. They loved the one that created the world and would soon die for the world. 
They each received the free gift of salvation. The greatest day of my life, June 1995, when me and my wife both received the free gift of salvation on the same day there at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. You can't buy eternal life. Amen? Judas tried to steal. He tried to strive. He tried to create for himself the life of his dreams. You and I know people right now that are trying to create for themselves the life of their dreams. If I can just get this amount of money, then I'm going to retire to a place in the Caribbean. There's whole, there's whole shows on HGTV about this. They never stop airing them because everyone wants to live the dream. They create their own little heaven on earth. Judas was trying to, man, he, he looked at all the kind of money and the power that the Pharisees had and all the wealth that they had accumulated and all the greetings in the marketplace. He's like, I want that. Jesus is like, headed to a cross. Judas didn't want that. But Judas's own death would be a nightmare. He would commit suicide about a week later. And instead of choosing Christ, he chooses hell. Jesus said, you know the verse, Mark 8, 36, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You can't buy your soul. By the way, you can't even see your soul, right? You ever seen your soul? No. We're made of body, soul, and spirit. Can't see the soul. Satan is a great liar and a deceiver. And he convinces people, he convinced Judas, if you just have more money, you're going to be happy. If you just have more stuff, you're going to be happy. If you just had this, if you just had that. I don't envy Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates. I don't envy all the people that were at the Met Gala last week. Have all the money and all the fame and all the power. None of that will help you one second after death, will it? It won't help you now. It doesn't help you now. I mean, Steve Jobs was in their category. He died of cancer in his 50s. It can't even, I mean, he was in the same stratosphere. Now his wife has, she's like one of the richest women in the world. Lauren Jobs or whatever. But it can't even help you now. Judas, I, I, people try and hold on to think, your soul, Jesus died for, and people are just like, I, I don't really care about that. I just want an awesome retirement. You don't even know if you're going to get a retirement. There's no guarantee of that. But Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they were convinced that the most valuable thing in the world was a relationship with Jesus. Judas. He wasn't convinced. No one can make you believe this. You're going to have to come to your own decision. Each of us have to come to our own decision. But Jesus, knowing Judas's every thought and intent, look at verse 7, Jesus knows. He doesn't really address Judas's bigger problem, that he's been deceived by the God of this age. No doubt Jesus has, I, personally I believe Jesus has given him many opportunities to see where his condition was. And to see that he was choosing very foolishly. But Jesus, knowing Judas's every thought and intent, says in verse 7, and it's up on the screen as well, Let her alone, 
She has kept this for the day of my burial. Jesus, Jesus expresses here that Mary had kept this personal investment to one day use it for Jesus' burial. I don't know what Mary thought. I don't know if she thought, hey, maybe one day they really will kill Jesus. Maybe one day all these threats we've heard of will actually happen. Maybe they, she thought Jesus would live to be 80. I don't know. We know that she had kept it for his burial. And if she was going to use it at a burial or had his funeral, no one would have criticized that use. You ever gone to a funeral and said, why did you all spend all this money on the funeral? Of course you didn't say that. Nobody has a problem with how people choose to use the money at the point of death. But Judas speaks up, and because there's not a, a funeral service here, it is a meal, and Judas thinks, as a fleshly-minded man, he can't understand why this was wasted when he wasn't thinking about the poor. He could have had another extra year's wages. But it seems that Mary has come to the conclusion, going back to her for a second, Mary has come to the conclusion that she should pour out this gift of love and gratitude while Jesus is still alive. And by the Spirit, her timing is perfect. And by the way, you and I, we need to pour out our lives while we're still alive. Amen? Jesus is alive. We're still alive, I mean physically. I'm alive forever in Christ from now until eternity. I know I'm alive eternally. But while we're alive in this body, while I still have this 53-year-old flesh and bones, I have to be poured out for the Lord now, and so do you. We don't know how many length of days we are given. Mary, she likely thinks that she's anointed Jesus long before his death. Like, she's like, all right, I'm just going to use this now, long before his death. When actually he's been anointed for burial that's going to come just a week later when he'll be the Passover lamb. She, she, does not, she does not know that she's just anointed the Passover lamb. She, in her mind, hey, I don't know when he's going to die, but I'm not going to let this oil sit here any longer. I'm just going to pour it out. You see, most everyone came to this meal to celebrate, to fellowship, to reflect. Mary, she came to worship. She came to just pour out whatever she had. She's like, I'm not going to hold on to this. Yes, I saved it for his burial, but I'm just going to go ahead and pour it out now. He's as worthy now as he'll be then. Jesus, he came for a reason too. He did come to fellowship. He did come to be with the family. He did come to spend that time with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. But he also came to be anointed for his death. Judas and the others there, they came for their own reasons. Their own reasons of being in attendance. And Jesus goes on to tell Judas in verse 8, look at verse 8, For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Regarding the poor that could have been cared for with the value of the spikenard, which, again, Judas had no intention of using it in that way anyway, but Jesus was at this moment saying that this day, this sacrifice by Mary, this act of worship that she has given was exactly what God desired right then and there. It's, by the way, it's a really good feeling. I, I know 
that I am doing exactly what God wants me to be doing right now on May the 8th, 2022. I am positive that this is what he wants me doing. I know he doesn't want me out there. Well, it's not a good day for golf anyway. But anyway, he doesn't want... This is exactly what he wants me doing right now today. And I hope that you know that you being under the word of God and worshiping is exactly what you're supposed to be doing at this moment. Later tonight, it'll be a different time. It might be something else. But this moment, understand that Jesus, I think we all know by now, if you've read the Gospels, Jesus loved poor people. The vast majority of his ministry, almost the entirety of his ministry, was always went to the poor, the diseased, the outcasts, the prostitutes, the sinners, the debt. He did not go regularly to the country club. They had to come to him. Because why? Because they were full of pride and they were full of, you people are below us. That's what, that was the whole thing. The Pharisees and the chief priests, they would send out their minions to investigate Jesus. He did not, as best we can tell, go to the rich and famous. They had to come to him. But he did go to the poor and downtrodden regularly and healed thousands of them. So we know that Jesus loved the poor. It wasn't a one or the other, it was a both and. There are times when all God wants from you is your single worship and devotion, and there's other times when he wants you ministering to somebody. It's not one or the other. It depends on the time. There will be thousands of opportunities for the apostles, and even all the way for us, 2,000 years later, to help the poor. We'll see later in the book of Acts, we'll see later in the epistles, that the apostles will be living this out. They will be serving the destitute just as Jesus did and just as he wanted them to. Notice Judas likes to say what should be done and didn't actually want to do it. They weren't talking about it, but actually did it. That's something to watch in the news these days. People that talk about their virtue usually don't care near as much. People that are actually doing it don't talk about it as much. They just do it. But we're bound by time, aren't we? So while we're at this moment, I'm preaching, you're sitting under the Word of God, we've worshipped this morning, we're actually not out ministering anywhere in Richmond at this very moment. We're all here. But we need to be here at time. We need to grow. But we also then need to take what we've learned and apply it and serve elsewhere. Being bound by time... There's a time to worship, there's a time to pray, there's a time to serve, there's a time to minister. Today is, if you say, we're going to pour out some love on mom today, that's a good thing. And you can't do that every day of the week. But it's time, Jesus took the time for this meal, didn't he? He took the time, he, Jesus at this meal was not out healing anybody. At this meal he was not out casting out demons. At this meal he was not even teaching. He was just spending that time. And so we have the Holy Spirit say, Lord, how do you want me to use my minutes? Where do you want me to be in any specific time? These last three verses, we've got to bring it to a close. Look at verses 9 through 11. Now a great many of the Jews knew that Jesus was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. These last three verses, we know Judas was there at this meal with one foot out the door as it related to being a disciple of Jesus. 
and his hand was tightly gripping the money bag. He was very close to betraying Jesus for silver. But a good number of the people were there, number one, to get a glimpse of Jesus, but not only Jesus, they also wanted to see Lazarus from themselves, maybe even hear Lazarus speak. They've heard about him being raised from the dead, but they wanted to see it firsthand. And not all of them were probably in the meal, but at least they'd come to Bethany. Many uh, that have come obviously had heard from the surrounding villages, but some of those who'd come could even be Jewish pilgrims that are already arriving in advance of Passover, coming from other countries, coming from, let's say, modern-day Jordan or Syria, or coming down from Turkey through Europe. Uh, some Jewish pilgrims may have been hearing about this, arriving from other countries, areas, and saying, hey, we want to see this for ourselves. And praise the Lord, even more people believe, even more join the ranks of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the family of God. Sadly, though, the chief priest and the leaders, they had eyes and ears to all of this. They're not moved one bit by Lazarus being raised from the dead. Not moved at all. Not, they were never moved, as you know, from previous chapters when people were raised from the dead at the Pool of Bethesda or outside the temple gate. They were never moved by any of those things. Now Lazarus being raised from the dead, they're not moved by it. And like Judas, these religious leaders and the chief priests, they doubled down on their sin of choice. Their sin of choice was envy and pride. The Pharisees and the religious leaders. Envy and pride. Matter of fact, even Pilate will actually mention this, that envy is what put Jesus on the cross. But they want not only Jesus to be killed, they decide they want Lazarus murdered also. That his short resurrection should be very short. The rest of his life should be very brief. They want to remove all the evidence of Jesus' wonder-working power. And let me tell you, Satan, who was behind their evil efforts, has been attempting to remove the evidence of Jesus' wonder-working power ever since. Amen? He's been working for 2,000 years to convince, convince people Jesus wasn't real, uh, it's just a fairy tale, the Bible's just a book like every other book, Jesus was just a good man, he didn't really rise from the dead, the disciples carried his body away, you've heard all these things. Anything to diminish, to cause doubt, to distort the soul-saving life changing way, truth, and life that Jesus is. And Satan, along with today's modern-day chief priests and leaders, and we have them today too, they are the power structure that own the academic universities, they own Wall Street, they own Hollywood, they own the music ministry, uh, ministry, yeah. Now we have this new ministry of truth. I'd say maybe that's something, you know, we, they own all of these other Things that control the lives of people. They control the narrative. They own the media. They own the technology companies. We have the modern day chief priests and leaders that want nobody else to believe because they don't believe. They don't want anybody else to believe either. Just as these men were opposed to Jesus, today is still the same case. But just like them, nobody can remove Jesus' witness, the truth of his message, or stop people from believing in him from salvation. The world leaders have tried for 2,000 years to stop people believing, and people keep coming to Christ. People keep believing. People keep getting saved. They try. They'll even murder. They'll even scheme. 
Once the blood of Jesus was poured out, just like that fragrant oil, just like Mary poured out the oil, once the blood of Jesus had been poured out and his forgiveness and the gospel went forth, nothing can stop the fragrance that's all over the world now. What about us? We come to a close. Let, we need to be, you and I need to be, like Mary and the Apostle Paul, pouring out our own lives at the feet of Jesus and help people find the source of the fragrance of the gospel. To help them understand, like the Ethiopian eunuch. He's reading it, he smells the fragrance of it, but he doesn't understand until Philip comes along and says, let me show you the source. He smelled the fragrance of the gospel. He smelled the fragrance of forgiveness. He smelled the fragrance of eternal life. But it took God sending Philip to say, now let me tell you the source. I pray that Jesus cues up for all of us opportunities where the fragrance has gone out and we say, let me tell you about the source. Let me, you can also tell people, here's the source of your discontent. Here's the source of your angst. Here's the source of your anger. It's it's called the fact that we're born in sin. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again, Jesus, that your word is so faithful and true. Lord, your spoken word, even before the miracles, I believe, your spoken word pierced the hearts of so many. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they believed. We, we have seen again and again, Jesus, that you've said in your own witness of your own self in the previous chapters that we must believe. To believe upon you is also to reject our own fleshly way of thinking and to believe that salvation from you is better than anything this world could ever offer. And Lord, before we close in prayer, you know, I, if there's even one here that is still like Judas, trying to cling to the things of this world that are slipping through their hands, that they'll never be able to hold on to anyway, whether it's money, whether it's some kind of pleasures, or a career, or anything, Lord, that would someone exchange for the free gift of salvation, I pray, Lord, that you would speak that the fragrance of forgiveness and the fragrance of your mercy and your grace would penetrate the heart, and Lord, they would call upon the name of the Lord, believing on you, and be saved. And before we close in worship, there's even one person here this morning. Um, this, I'm just kind of telling exactly what took place here, but maybe you're here and you say, I, I'm not where Mary, Martha, and Jesus, uh, Lazarus were. I'm not in that relationship. I'm more like Judas, still trying to find something that's going to satisfy my soul, which you will never find in money or career or popularity or fame or any of those things. You say, I want to give my life to you. I want to believe on Jesus today. Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. There's even one here. You ne I never know who's going to show up. If there's even one person says, I want to give my life to Christ today. I want to believe on Jesus. comes down to what you believe in. Everyone you know in, in Virginia, everyone you know in this world is believing in something. They're usually believing in themselves. 
Anyone at all? Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you if there's anyone. Anyone online? If you're there online, you can pray right now in your own words. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I confess that I'm a sinner. Please cleanse me and forgive me of all of my sins. Wash me by this priceless blood. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. For I'm deciding this day to follow you, Jesus. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Lord, help me now to grow in your grace. In Jesus' name. Even if someone's done that online, you can send us a note at questions at calvarychapelrva.com. We would love to follow up with you. Questions at calvarychapelrva.com. For all of us, uh, as we uh, stand and worship here to close, I know it's Mother's Day, and I hope that you have a wonderful day celebrating with Mom, but I also hope that the Lord reminds you this coming week to pour out your own life for the Lord. To pour out your own life. Now, Lord, I can't be everywhere at once. I can't be at church and helping people and ministering and doing this and doing that. But I, where I am at each moment, may I be poured out in, in that place. Amen? Would you stand as we close in worship?
end of that hymn, you know it's all about eternity, right? Mansions of glory, all that stuff. Do you believe that stuff, or is that just words to you guys? I mean, I'm really asking you for, to speak to your own spirit and soul. Um, Judas, Mary pours out 300 days wages on the feet. It, doesn't, it didn't mean anything to her. She was like, that does not matter. You're worth it. Judas is going to try and sell Jesus for murder for 30 pieces of silver. Do you see the contrast? She pours out a, a year's worth of wages. He's, he sells Jesus for a month's, of wage, a month's worth of wages, basically. And she's in heaven forever. I'm 53. I probably won't make it to 100. The millennium reign of Christ is 1,000 years. I will get to come back to this earth and live 10 times longer than my current life. More than that, depending on what it, my end of life span is. Do you guys understand that in America, I'm speaking to... We are the most affluent culture in the history of the world. So many people are selling their souls for the affluency of this and not even realizing it. Satan has pulled the wool over all their eyes and many people have no clue that they've exchanged one for the other. 30 pieces of silver and Jesus, I'm, I'm offering you a millennium reign and eternity. And I think I can better, get a better deal down the street. You can't. Pour out your lives. If ever we could love Jesus, today is now. Amen? We're not guaranteed tomorrow. It's like the song says. Lord, we just thank you for your truth. Lord, I pray that you would continue to, by your spirit, remind us of these things. Show us other verses. Show us other passages that show us, Jesus, that this life is truly but a vapor. And only one Christ, only one life so soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.